Welcome to Real History Shows What You Know About History. On this podcast, we talk about historical movies and TV shows, anything that claims to be based on a true story, and we check how bad did they mess it up? How much did they sacrifice to get a great movie? Well, that's why we're here, to separate the real history from the real history. My name is Jacob Burrows, and I don't know anything about history. My name is Michael Tynan, and until very recently, I did not know that Joseph Stalin was a keen gardener who liked to send his friends fresh lemons. <laughs> My name is Mark Bell, and I'm actually amazed that Michael didn't lead with his love of the Crusades. Yes. Yeah, that's, we're, we're never speaking about that again. We have discussed <laughs> this. Uh, mm, well, it's out there in the ether now. No taking it back. I also was hoping you would lead with what you said before the show, which is... I'm Michael Tynan, and I have some fun facts about Stalin. <laughs> yeah, everyone's favorite. That dictator. was one of his fa- if my favorite fun facts mm. about him. To be fair, gardener, really, you know? gardening. keen gardener, and a bit of a, a loved love letters too, especially to his second wife. You know, crazy stuff. Yeah, yes. bit of a Casanova. Anyway, brilliant. Well, we're here to talk about the death of this man who we've previously mentioned, Stalin. In fact, um, in the film, the death of Stalin, which came out in 2017. It is a satirical black comedy as described on the internet, which I think is an apt description. Um, it has everyone in it. Uh, every, well, not it, it has Steve Buscemi in it. It's just Steve Buscemi's just in everything. Most and, most important thing is it has yeah, Steve Buscemi. Yeah, yeah. It's very important. But yeah, it, has, it is a who's who of uh, comedians, though. Uh, I mean, Michael Palin's in it, uh, Jeffrey Tambor bunch of other people I'm not as familiar with and it's put together by Armando Iannucci who I I'm familiar with but I think you lads are even more familiar with his work yeah I think it's fair to say uh, myself and Michael are big fans of he's yeah he would be probably the one of the masters of political satire yeah so Iannucci did a a TV series called The Thick of It which um, if anyone listening to this is not familiar with please go onto YouTube right now and type in the thick of it, and just type in a uh, compilation Malcolm uh, of Malcolm Tucker, <laughs> uh, and this this will teach you how to swear if you don't know how to swear. But he did; he's done a ton of different things. He he was the you know one of the main creators of Har- um, I nearly said Harry Potter of Alan Partridge. Alan Partridge, <laughs> um, yeah. slightly different to uh, yeah, slightly different. Yeah, um, who is Alan Partridge for anyone you know outside of these aisles? So he's, as it were? he's a uh, he's a He's probably one. Of, I would say one of the seminal comedy characters um, in Britain in the last probably thirty years. I'd be fair to say. Steve Coogan plays him, um, and he was created by Yanucci and uh, a couple of stand-up comedians, Stuart Lee and Richard Herring, uh, and they created him alongside Steve Coogan initially, just as a kind of a um, like a one-off sketch kind of thing. But the it, it world was just, today, was yeah, it? yeah, yeah, and it, it just shows, yeah. it just kind of grew its own life. So every so often, every like five or six years, they come back with another kind of three or four episode TV shows starring Partridge but it's just this it's like somewhere between Curb Your Enthusiasm and I don't know something a bit sillier maybe I would call him the Ali G of Britain or perhaps the Borat of Britain yeah he's more he's he, that's he's not terrible like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like as a media personality he's kind of the Ali G of media personalities he, he, he Ali kind of flourishes in uncomfortable humour yeah, so that yeah. those uncomfortable silences and those things where you go oh did he really say that? And he plays basically a mock TV show host in it most of his. Really, really impressive, actually, from a from a uh, a reverence kind of point of view, because like it, this is BBC or Channel Four or whoever taking the piss out of themselves, yeah, you know, largely with this character, which is 
Which yeah, and, and, and with Ar- Armando as well. Like, started out, as far as I understand it, and I'm not as familiar, maybe, but as, like, radio shows yeah. where they do yeah, parody yeah. of news. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that sort of evolved into parody of politics as well. I mean, Alan Partridge is, like, a news anchor or something. Yeah, right? so he, he's... Chat like, show host. Yeah, chat yes. show host, yeah. news anchor, radio... Uh, radio DJ kind of there's the the, the famous episode where he, where he gets stood in to, to do the football commentary and he's clearly never seen game football in right. his life <laughs> and, you know it's, it's very very good but the p- people on the other side of the Atlantic might know his work from the HBO drama Veep which yes, was yes. won I think several awards yeah he did, he did the first what four or five seasons yeah. of that and yeah. you can tell because the, the show dramatically declined leveled off you yeah. know I mean it's still a good show yeah. but it, you can tell he's not writing it anymore you exactly. know? yes and it's probably like that was the US version of the thick of it kind of yeah yeah yeah, yeah kind of that's that's a good way of phrasing it I suppose yeah which is yeah the, the one where we have uh, Peter Capaldi Capaldi playing Malcolm Tucker yeah he's yeah. got a great pedigree so this even the fact as soon as you uh, found out that this movie this subject uh, and the death of Stalin, what surrounded it was uh, like hilarious circumstances in a lot of way anyway. Yeah. Uh, but as soon as you knew that Armando, Armando was looking into doing this, you knew it was it couldn't not be good. He, yeah. he, he had previously done a, a movie spin-off of The Thick of It, which was like a political satire as well, starring uh, one of the stars being your, your, your mate James Gandolfini. Right. Uh, which is um, the movie In the Loop, yes. which is like about a summit between the, the US... Uh, Secretary of State and and the the British equivalent and it's just it's absolutely hysterical. I did see that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean yeah. I, I've dipped in and out of this canon as it were enough yeah. that when I heard about it's the death of Stalin and it's by this you know this crew I was yeah. like this is great and it's got uh, Buscemi. Um, so I've written Never a one heard. sentence summary here. A murderous despot dies, leaving behind a power vacuum into which a number of idiots are sucked and squabble for supremacy in a world where death is always around the corner. <laughs> it's it's it. Yeah, yeah, that's great, there, yeah. So dramatic. Yeah, yeah. Love, it, love it. And that's the off-the-cuff one? Did you write that before? I wrote that in the loo now, just before wow. we started recording. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's hard to imagine, Maybe right? that's where all the best writing is done. Is and true. if you're still in doubt about not going watching this movie, you should... Uh, probably what will definitely mean you will is the fact that the Russian Federation, Kyrgyzstan and uh, Kazakhstan banned this movie. So for that alone, you should go and see it. Uh, Why did they ban it, Michael? uh, I think they believed that it was controversial, that it might have been a controversial subject or portrayed uh, the Soviet Union in a poor light. Which God forbid. God forbid. Yeah. See it here is described as anti-Russian information war and an unfriendly act by the British intellectual class, which wow. is fair enough. Yeah. I mean, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in in the light of this taking place reasonably soon after Russian agents had poisoned uh, or had been poisoned by other Russian agents <laughs> in <laughs> London, it's probably yeah. you know maybe not the High best intentions. time. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah, not the best time to be say. to be releasing yeah. a political satire about Stalin. Oh, what, how, I wonder was it was it. Was it banned at all in Russia? Yeah, it, it was banned in Russia. Banned in Russia, yeah. Russia yeah. Yeah. They even raided a cinema who defied the ban and who decided to play it. They, they sent in the... That'll the show police, them we don't believe know? in yeah. censoring. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stalin would have been very proud. He would have been delighted by that. The world thinks that we're, we're <laughs> brutal dictators. So we'll, we'll show them. Right, so we uh, will get into, as we always do, the historical context. I just wanted to make sure we're... Like, this is one of those films you... Everyone I've 
talked to about this hasn't seen the film so no. i highly recommend seeing it yeah, it yeah. is very good it's very funny which and it is as you can probably guess from our discussion it's very an, a very irreverent look at something that's very serious yeah and absolutely. uh yeah appalling and they do the you know it is a dark comedy reflecting of that and sort of trying to uh you know the the ease with which death comes in this world that they paint uh it's like you know it, it they have to treat it with this level of distance this yeah. comedic level of distance or it would just be the most depressing film ever made and i th- i think it's i think it's um m- maybe this is too broad a sweep but i think it's it's brilliant a, a movie like this like so this is an adaptation of a, of a french uh, graphic novel by Fabian Nuri and Thierry Robin I've probably murdered their names because I'm sure I'm meant to pronounce those in French accent but, um, I think it's good that it was made by Yanucci not just because he's great but because um, the British sensibility the British sense of humour is given to, to make comedy out of the most dire and horrific kind of things and I don't know if the same kind of movie could be made by Hollywood the yeah. other thing I, I think is really really interesting about this movie is that they didn't try to do any fake Russian accents or fake Soviet accents like for example Stalin who is played by I think it's little known actor Adrian McLaughlin I think he he plays it with a Cockney accent yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the generals in it one of the war her- heroes Zhukov um, he plays it by I think Jeremy Isaacs or is it it's, uh, yeah, it's Jason Isaac. Jason excuse me. Yeah. yeah, he he plays it with a, a kind of a northern English accent. So yeah. Yeah. you've got this whole weird thing where you're w- watching a movie that's so Soviet that it couldn't be possible. You know, fur hats everywhere, the Kremlin, all this. But everybody's going around in regional British and that's Irish a, that's accents, actually a really you know? interesting point because I actually didn't notice this until <laughs> uh, Tamber uh, Jeffrey Tamber starts speaking. He plays Ma- uh, Malenkov. And he just has this very, very broad American accent. And I didn't notice it until that point. Yeah. And I actually, now that you mention it, I'm thinking, is that because when you watch historical movies, they've always got British accents? Is that what mm. that is? It's like yeah, I, I do know. And it's something I've thought about in uh, a couple of our other discussions here where it's like, yeah, yeah, Mark, you can go on about the helmets if you want. But they weren't <laughs> fucking from Yorkshire, were they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, exactly. the, the, yeah, yeah. The other thing that <laughs> you could explain it, well, I don't know, I think it fits well. I don't know if, if this was intentional, but the fact that the Soviet Union itself would is, was such a massive area, so many different countries, so yeah. many different ethnic groups, there would have been massive diff- like massive variations in accents like like S- Stalin himself was a Georgian so he would have had a, a very strong Georgian accent you know so maybe it was it it kind of nearly welcomed the fact that all the actors played it yeah. using kind of either their native tongues or something very similar and to it, it you we, you've seen we, you, you, you've seen like directors do this before um just that movie Alexander people always laugh about that because the guy's got an Irish accent but if you actually pay attention, all the Macedonians have Irish accents and all the Greeks have English accents. And they have the same English accents. Mm. And the director did that on purpose. Because the idea was that Macedonians would speak Greek in this, like, you know, farmer kind of accent. You yeah. know what I mean? This kind of non-metropolitan kind of accent, whereas the Greeks were metropolitan, city folk. Mm. I think that's what yeah. they're going for. Or, or like, that's, that's what, like, a lot of directors m- might think along those lines. But they still skew towards... Oh well, it's historical, so they've got to be British. But yeah. in this case, anyway, it's it's hilarious just for comic effect. Um, we're probably overthinking it, but anyway, that wouldn't be the first or the last time that we will overthink. <laughs> yes, something, very you know? true. 
I think it's uh, it's a really interesting side uh, track that we can discuss a, a whole hour about the use of languages in films. Yeah, so. maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll just start a Patreon for that. You make that yeah. the bonus show. Oh, Who look, knows? I mean, if there's a Patreon, we can do it. I mean. yeah. Oh, you want more? We've got more. Uh, I wanted to mention before we get into the historical context, I always like to bring up the writers. You mentioned the comic uh, book, sorry, graphic novel. Ooh, I know. No, I'll call um, it a comic book. Graphic it, novel is, just, is some publisher bullshit. Like, it's a comic book. It's uh, also co-written by two writers who've worked with Ianucci before, uh, David Schneider and Ian uh, Martin. Yeah. Ian Martin, who was hired as a swearing consultant. <laughs> on, <laughs> best job ever. What a yeah. job. Yeah. I mean, on, on the thick of it before becoming a uh, full part of the writing team there. Right. So yeah, they, they also bring their vibe to the whole He's thing. He's obviously got a fluency in swearing. He passed his probationary period yeah. clearly with that. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's head into the world of history with this question. Who was this guy, Stalin, and why didn't people like him very much? What's up with that? Because I'm, I'm joking, obviously, but this is what I know. I know about Stalin. Then there, this film isn't really about Stalin, but no. it is about Stalin. Yeah, like, because yeah. he dies at the start. Spoiler alert, it's in the title. He dies at the start, and then it's all these other characters squabbling for what's going to happen next, basically. Yeah. Um, and I don't know any of them, so I'd like to learn a bit more about them, like, beyond what I know in the film. But we got to start with the man himself, the myth, the legend, Stalin. I What's think, he about? I think it's, it's an interesting... Uh, that's a nice way of putting it because it's an interesting way of looking at who Stalin was when you see that like after his death the power vacuum is like this this could be the case study for what a power vacuum is yeah. so like yeah. Stalin you, you've, you've got to say is if not the greatest lunatic of the 20th century <laughs> um, he's certainly in the conversation I mean he's, he's in the top five he's you know, definitely of all time <laughs> you, you would have to say the, the most genocidal maniac of the, mm. of the of, in, in world history and so like the idea that this movie is set in the, in the power of vacuum kind of solidifies who he was as this like larger than life, massively you know international icon. You'd you'd have to say yeah. Um, but even even just the fact that if when you watch the film, you the biggest thing that will stand out, which it probably initially is how on edge all the other characters are in even from the common soldier to yeah. uh, members of the Politburo, how on edge they are around Stalin and. The reason they're, they're, some of them are even trembling. They're remembering. They're writing down what jokes they said in case uh, they're questioned after. They're watching their words, and in order to understand why they're behaving like babbling buffoons the whole way through the film, uh, in this situation, you kind of have to know about Stalin and what he did to the Soviet Union. You know, I, I think his cult of personality is such that it was part of what informed the concept of the big brother is watching in yeah. the Iron Curtain the yeah. whole way through his reign and afterwards. Mm. I mean, you'd have to say, like, the secret police in East Germany and the secret police in Poland and you can't be heard questioning the government, you can't be heard questioning the leader, you can't, you know. He created a model for yeah. a dictatorship, uh, which many other unpopular mainly men yeah nearly all men uh, have, have all followed men. <laughs> along that line you know um so yeah he's he's up, he's up there with the top so uh, i suppose we can go into a bit so where, yeah. where, did, where did he come from mick what, what, what's his origin yeah so he was his, first of all his name he, stalin is a name he gave himself the man of steel very, a lot later uh, but he was actually born in gory in georgia in 1878 so he would have been born into a, a, a part of the russian empire mm. 
He was extremely poor. Uh, his father would have been a shoemaker, so he would have grown up in a very rough household. His his father was an alcoholic. He used to beat him. His mother was extremely religious. Um, they didn't have a lot of money. His father was a, a shoemaker, and like what a lot of people are always surprised with was he could have gone on a completely different path. So he actually won a scholarship to become an Orthodox priest. Mm. So he went off As to school. Yeah, yeah. The priesthood being associated with evil people, I'm sure. 100%. So he went off and he, he was studying to be a priest, but he was eventually thrown out. Now, in later years, he claimed, as you know, a common theme with Stalin is that he liked to rewrite history, but yeah. he claimed he was thrown out of the, the seminary or whatever you want to call it because... Uh, of Marxist ideology and Marxist leanings, but actually he was thrown out uh, according to the school records because he didn't turn up for the exam. So <laughs> you can go either way with that particular situation. So after that, basically, so he was developing into a teenager, highly influenced by Marxism, which was sort of the uh, very much the uh, underground ideology. It's kind of the cool rock, thing. The yeah. rock star cult kind of oh, yeah. sweeping the nation. A hundred percent, yeah. It was the vine of... 1880s or something, <laughs> yeah. right? If that, or, yeah, where, where yeah. you know, you'd know more about that. But, but he, he, after that, he basically ran off, and in all intents and purposes, he became um, a, a professional revolutionary, an underground revolutionary. He, he's, he adopted a code name, which is really cool. It was actually Koba. Yeah, uh, it was, but that was when he was still young. Then, yeah, sort of, he would have yeah. been very young here. This would have been before the turn of the century. Mm. Um, he would have been in and out of prison the whole time. He was, as Mark was illuminating us earlier, he would have been essentially ro- bank robbers. Yeah, he was. A, I mean, nice. he was involved in. Wait, where's this film? Where's Stalin yeah, the right, bank robber? I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of films that would definitely be banned in Russia. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think like I think it's fair to say he was essentially a gangster for yeah. a long time, right? I mean, he was involved in extortion, he was involved in like beatings of people, money laundering. He he carried out some bank robberies. I mean, given his background, like you mentioned earlier, it, this is just a man who just has a profound lack of respect for the state and the state power. And you have to remember that this was Imperial Russia, which was a very backward place. Yeah. The Romanovs had been in power for about three hundred years. And they were and changing he, anything. Yeah, they they <laughs> were. No, all, I mean, they all really were. Like, <laughs> yeah. like they would have. Wow. Stalin himself, I think, was locked up in well. He was exiled to Siberia several times over the course of like between 1902 and 13. Just gave him and an somehow idea. it just didn't yeah. stick. I don't yeah. know what happened. <laughs> but all yeah. of this anyway was to say that he endeared himself towards what would be considered sort of the militant wing of the Marxist party in Russia, mm. which was led by Vladimir Lenin. Uh, who Speaking know, of people with fake names. But yeah. fake, fake names again. Um, so he was eventually he was given responsibility by that. Uh, Lenin initially kind of admired him. So he was well-placed... Uh, for when the tinderbox, which was the Russian Revolution, arrived in 1917. So, do you want to talk about a little I, bit? I, about I think that? I think is, is like Stalin. Part part of Stalin's, um, as much as this is an awful kind of thing to say, I don't want it to be construed as a compliment. But the guy was seen as um, hugely charismatic. Hmm. He was good-looking guy. Women women liked him you know and he was this kind of roguish figure so when you're talking about the formation of the of the, the revolution and his him coming in under lenin's wing lenin is looking at this guy and thinking to himself right this guy's useful this is an mm. instrument i can use if somebody's in my way lenin will bump them off or mm. stalin will bump them off for me you know mm. this is a guy who, who worms his way in essentially into lenin's affections and by the time lenin has realized just how devious this guy is it's it's just too late 
This was also a time with just to give it a background into his own psyche as well. His first wife would have died um, shortly after the Russian Revolution. and He had a a child uh, with her, a boy. Um, And there's a quote he actually from one of his letters, which will kind of give you an idea of his mindset and where he was going psychologically. So he said, with her died my last warm feelings for humanity. (laughs) So that was a bit of a warning sign. uh, Yeah, yeah. And (laughs) you can probably see that that, that, that's probably one of the most like the truest things he's ever written because he just he essentially just becomes a total psychopath at this point right so So the the revolution then happens in october uh 1917 lenin who himself had been exiled of course was exiled to to he was in austria he was in switzerland and, and whatever the germans essentially smuggled him back to russia to incite a revolution to to help knock uh, Imperial Russia out of World War One, which it is worked yeah. super it effective, yeah, yeah, super yeah, yeah. effective. So they immediately signed that treaty, the Brest-Litovsk treaty. Yeah. I just pulled that one from my arse. but um, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that's a treaty, in it and it, uh, Russia signed themselves out of the war. And they um, lost half of oh, European just, Russia, just well, this huge you know. sway of the territory. Like yeah, 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 just to yeah. get just to get them out of the war. And I, I have to uh, cut in and say like yes. I know this from Blackadder the Fourth. Like yeah. that's how I know <laughs> history, guys. Yeah. It's really silly. But I mean, well, yeah, it, like it looked that silly, but also, you know, you still know the basics of what was going on here. Like this is a calamitous mm. upheaval. It's chaotic. The czars are being brought down, properly brought down, never to return. And the, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the Romanovs have been in power for what three hundred years? years. Well, on I mean, and off. That's yeah. a, that's a. I mean, that's a long-standing dynasty. They were gods. They were considered. Yeah, gods, yeah, know, yeah. They were completely untouchable. These guys, and suddenly. There's this vast emptiness where the czars are gone, almost like when Stalin himself dies. This is no one really knows what's going to yeah. happen. So there Stalin enters into this period under the wing of the great leader, yeah, Lenin. Um, now, what's important to know here as well that there was the revolution, but eventually the Bolsheviks, who were led by Lenin and Stalin, was in there too. Yeah, they tried to a coup d'état against what was a kind of a the early bird, a kind of a provisional government, early democratic government uh, right. that existed just after the revolution, just after the fall of the, the monarchy in Russia. Um, and then there was a massive civil war, which was very, very bloody. So this, all of this you have to, was in their formative years, you know. So this influenced the rest of their lives in a lot of ways because they would have used tactics here where would have been brutal denunciations, uh killings of indiscriminate killings yeah. uh white, white wiping like just tactics that were inhumane yeah. also important to note about the russian civil war this is the the mensheviks are the other yeah. side of the civil war yeah. so they're they're the provisional government the whites or as they're called the whites yeah. versus the reds well, important to mention about this is this is an internationally involved civil yeah. war so you'd have to think that the later governments or the later people in power their view of the outside world is heavily coloured by the fact that certain powers are trying to help the Mensheviks stay in power against the Reds because they're trying to prevent the spread of Marxism. Yeah. So if you if you're if you're Stalin and you're you're a guy from extreme poverty who has no respect for the royal authority, you are a criminal, you've been in and out of prison, you've been exiled, you've been taken in by the, the this super charismatic leader who's got a lot of popular support. You then get involved in a civil war that then involves foreign powers trying to take you down. 
Yeah. And you have nothing to lose because your whole nothing, power yeah. base is built on seizing power, yeah. you know? This it's informs brutality. brutality. Yeah, this is really interesting because when you don't know anything about history, as I claim at the start of every episode, like, you know, the tent poles of history and you would consider, like, the Russian Revolution. Ah, oh, everyone learns about that. Like, you know, there was yeah. the Russian Revolution yeah, yeah. and then they were communist until <laughs> yeah, 1990. And then Lenin <laughs> came in and everything was wonderful, kind of, but then it got really bad and then 1990. Yeah, <laughs> Basically, so this civil war just uh you know looking at it very uh you know just without any depth of knowledge at all does look like everyone was sort of against them a little bit sort of intervening there because sure. everyone was like yeah we're gonna support this other side well it's almost like uh the spanish civil war you know which which comes later and probably some of the ussr's thinking and kind of involved in the spanish war, the civil war i wonder is there kind of a punitive kind of revenge kind of concept here like yeah, let's, let's get involved here and really fuck over these guys like yeah. you know um but yeah i mean the british and the americans you know they're involved in so the, it was a mixture the whites were like a mixture of the provisional government which is let's be honest it is the great what if of history because oh, yeah, if sure. the provi- if, sure. if maybe that early provisional so-called democratic government had have been allowed to develop russian history and world history would have gone in a completely different direction mm. so it is important to know that trotsky lenin and stalin underneath them and the bolsheviks seized power like they did they they were ruthless you know they're not it's very hard to paint them as necessarily as um, as romantic figures although later that's the way it was portrayed and know? that's the that's the classic like history being written by the victors isn't it exactly you know, yeah they, they get yeah. in power so therefore they tell you what the history is because they're the, writing the, the mindset of these men um has to be kind of like understood there's a quote actually one of uh, stalin's quotes and it's debt is the solution to all problems no man no problem so if you think of his great tweet way, <laughs> i mean yeah. he would have been great on yeah. twitter oh yeah, yeah. No, th- th- this guy would be the king of twitter yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah can you imagine exactly. this guy versus yeah. donald trump on twitter <laughs> so i suppose we should we say basically afterwards the the bolsheviks the the so the 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 Reds. The, uh, the Reds under under Lenin eventually won the civil war. They established the Soviet Union in is it twenty two, mm. um, and all was going well. On well, when I say all was going well for them, uh, <laughs> until Lenin died in I think he died of was it a he had a stroke I think. So that would have been you know the death of Stalin prequel the death of Lenin yeah. Yeah. because there was a, a power vacuum at that point and. Uh, this is p- purely speculation, but did Stalin fill? A, I mean, from my part, because there is an answer, I just don't know it. Did Stalin fill sort of a role similar to that of Beria in the film? Or am Inter- I- that's that's an mm. interesting comparison. I think uh, most people, certainly on the outside, looking at what they think may happen is a lot of people would consider Trotsky to be the er, the heir apparent. Right? Yeah. He's 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 the head of the Red Army. He's uh, Victorious general, yeah, victorious general. He ran, he essentially ran the Red Army in the Civil War, but he's also this great intellectual. He's a great writer. Um, he, yeah, he, he's reasonably charismatic. He made he's Stalin look bad. He made Stalin look like a brute, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good way of putting it. And also, you know, just coming up to the time where Lenin is getting ill and having the strokes and dying and stuff. This is the point at which he realizes the threat that Stalin actually poses. He realizes too late that Stalin's a lunatic. Mm. And essentially, what he's doing when he when he when they're creating the government, he he places Stalin into a like it's a position of power, but it's one he thinks okay he he'll do less damage here. Yeah. So like he more of an organizer. Yeah, kind of a committee. Man. Yeah, you you'll you'll appoint 
minor administrators and you'll appoint provincial kind of you know people who look after the money over here and you won't really directly influence what's happening in moscow and all of this kind of stuff mm-hmm. massive mistake so he makes him the general secretary but what stalin essentially does is he replaces all the middle management with his guys all of them so yeah. he, he bumps off administrators left right and center puts in people who owe everything to him mm. so when lenin dies all the mid-range guys all back stalin one mm. of the very funny incidents that happen at the funeral of lenin so the whole of russia is um is in mourning uh you know lenin's being getting ready to be embalmed into his mausoleum people are crying in the streets all of this kind of thing and stalin steps up uh although he wouldn't have been assumed to be the person who would do the oration at the funeral um it was assumed it would probably be trotsky or someone else like that uh but they actually no one really knows, but they actually lied to Trotsky and told him the funeral was on a different day. Mm-hmm. So Trotsky didn't turn up He's at, the not at the funeral. He's not at the funeral. Yeah. Right. So it makes him look terrible in the eyes of the of the Soviet people. Uh, Stalin steps up uh, pr- uh, in the shadow of Lenin, does a great oration, and from then on basically spends the next five years manipulating his way to full control of the, the the committee that ran the Soviet Union, the Politburo. And the, the level of intrigue even is down to the, to the level whereby Lenin's last words, like Lenin's, uh, like his kind of final speech to the people, or speech to the party, he's warning about Stalin. Mm. He's saying, no, no, what, beware, beware of Stalin, I think is it's actually it's the word. It's right? his testament, it's called. Yeah, yeah but he yeah, literally yeah. says the words, beware of Stalin. But mm. Stalin's administrators are there, and they get him the speech. So they get it to Stalin before it's read out. So Stalin right. gets it and doctors it. You know, <laughs> it's amazing. Like yeah. the level of intrigue that's going on here. You just think about this. Like this is like the the uh, um, you know when you see these period dramas where so like you know the the court intrigue with yeah. the king yeah. and all this kind of stuff. That's what's going on here. This is this guy would would have won the game of thrones. There's a reason easy. he was called the Red Czar. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. This guy is just on a different level. There. He's a different level of manipulation and ruthlessness to everyone else. Yeah, right? and the the feeling from the film again to touch on it is that he is on a different level. Once he's out of there, there's no one on his yeah, level to take over. Him. Everyone's just like, uh, uh, they were all preoccup- preoccupied not getting killed by Stalin. Yeah, <laughs> they spent yeah they spent, they spent most of their waking lives not trying to not run afoul Stalin but they're all kind of they're more on a par with each other yeah so it's like it's like they're playing at an amateur level and Stalin is the greatest player in the world at the professional level you know and it's it's he was known as like the boss or the vazd I'm not sure how you pronounce it but whereas that's not actually normal in that that politburo or committee should have been more of like a a governing body or a i suppose a cabinet as we might call it in a democracy where they would be collective decision making but by 1929 stalin has basically exiled his main rival trotsky he's kicked him out later kills him in 1940 he's murdered with an ice pick in in Mexico right later Russia's been invaded by the Nazis and uh, he still has time to and his paranoia still has time to assassinate this guy he's he's literally more he's literally more concerned that Trotsky is killed than the fact that they're like uh, the Wehrmacht is at the door he's like yeah 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 but is Trotsky dead yet though yeah. I need Trotsky to be dead yeah lo- much know. like a Daenerys Targaryen right. <laughs> yeah yeah Just but they love you more than me John yeah because we've got to relate yeah. everything to Game of Thrones yeah. but the, the thing we have to realise then is so Stalin was in power here but it's more about the effect what he did to Russia and the Soviet Union mm. through his policies and that's why when you're watching Death of Stalin it's these policies that put the fear of God 
into every one of those characters yeah. and once you have an understanding of the stuff he did you can understand completely you would literally shit yourself if you were in his presence because yeah. you would know if you looked at him the wrong way you could be on a list the next day where you could be taken and away. you're gone you're yeah. just gone yeah. and your whole family could be gone so I don't know. Do we want to talk about the type of policies? Absolutely. In, I think yeah. uh, so. He took over. Was it twenty nine then, or, or I mean, just more or less? He was kind of undisputed. He's leader undisputed then. leader at twenty nine. Yeah. yeah. Right. So his but rivals are gone. But he, he essentially is into power by what twenty four. Yeah, he's, he's the main guy in the politics but it takes him about five years. He gets rid of a few people like Bukharin, I think, mm. and Trotsky. Trotsky, most importantly, and he's, that, he, his yeah. fear is that Trotsky is the loyalty of the army. That's yeah. the fear, right? Mm, so it's basically 30 years until the start of the film. Again, we're going to spend most of the podcast talking about what happens before the film even yeah. starts. Let's not worry about that. Yeah. So the film takes place in 53 when he dies. Yeah. What happens between him taking over and yeah, the policies, as you mentioned? Where yeah. do we so, get like, to? We have to realize that Russian, Russia was largely still an agrarian society. It was very backward compared to its Western neighbors, even compared to Japan on its Eastern border it in terms of production industrial output all that it was way way behind so stalin's policy was basically to supercharge industrialization through a series of these kind of insanely uh i suppose it's insanely over ambitious five-year plans yeah so, mm. so take take the term human resources literally you know yeah. so humans are the fodder doesn't matter how many people die as long as we get to this point within this five years. And all of right. this is within a very kind of tight Marxist ideology which has the kind of role of Marxism developing in history that it's replacing capitalism. First we build socialism, then we will have communism. All of this, they believed that they were destined to create a utopia. Yeah. So they didn't really care about how they got there. And yeah, these, the ends justify the means. Yeah. That's, that's his whole... So they, these five-year plans basically decided to... A country that had have had hundreds of years of small farmers and small landholders decided within a number of years to collectivize everything. Uh, he found... So basically to make massive state farms. Yeah. The idea behind this, we're going to be far more uh, efficient. We're going to increase crop yields. Uh, we're going to get rid of the old archaic system all of these were all the motivations behind it but this involved basically taking people off their land requisitioning their grain he picked on a certain class every dictator needs an enemy and he picked on a group of people which we would just call normal farmers they were called the kulaks yeah. i think uh but we would call them farmers but he considered them rich bourgeois hoarders you know and right. he would have called them wreckers and counter-revolutionaries basically he said in all intents and purposes he started a war on the countryside this is, uh, so these were people who basically just wanted to they're normal own normal ro they're just normal everyday yeah. peasants i, I, I think they're, they're probably a, a a section of them you might say will be uh, comparatively speaking reasonably middle class yeah mm. think of the guy's background so guys like just aggressively poor in a backwater of the empire right and the point that michael makes about it being um like, I mean, Russia's really not far from a feudal society yeah. in, in the period where where he's born. And that that weighs on the psyche, particularly during World War One, because if this enormous army, and you would think, okay, just by numbers, we're going to go in, we're going to do this. They just can't do it. Anytime they get into a battle, they've been 
they're out industrialized so they go up against the russian army goes up against the austrian army and it does not go well initially mm. in 1905 before world war one when the czars are trying to hang on and, and their things are starting to dwindle they have what, what you would call a convenient little war this is what dictators often do to kind of solidify their power by bringing up national nationalism and so on. So they decide they're going to have a war with Japan in 1905, and they lose. And this is the first time a European power has lost a war to an Asian, an Asian power. power. And they, yeah. they don't just lose. I mean, they get pumped. The Japanese just kick the shit out of them. This is the this, this is the kind it's of the, the level national, of backwardness. Yeah, this the, uh, but that's weighing on the national psyche. So for Stalin to say these guys are counter revolutionaries, they're bourgeois, they're holding on, they're they're the people who are keeping us back. Yeah, that's kind of and his idea was basically to use what they had, so incredibly fertile land, to basically um, feed industrialization. So to take the grain, sell it abroad, to use it to feed the new cities. Because at this time they were building brand new cities, whole new. They would just pick an area and say, "This now is a coal mining village," yeah. and transport a whole population of people from one end of the empire to the other. Do you yeah. have a choice? You know? No, you do no, not. No, you don't. Your people and rights were out the window everything was for the greater good and what happened anyway the results of all of this is massive famine so which caused mayhem like the estimates between i think it was 1931 and 1932 they believe 11 million people starved and this was there's actually a particular name on this uh, mass killing Death, of genocide, people yeah. uh, i don't have it to, to hand uh similar to the word the holocaust but essentially about even in the ukraine like i think the three to seven million people starved through this policy and they kept it going so they sent the army to the countryside to rob the grain to in, do in, in ukraine which is at this point is re- like or traditionally is regarded as the breadbasket of the empire this is it yeah. there was no reason for any of this like it could have been done in a really slow way but they decided to use barbarism they these kulaks for example i think they uh, i think they killed four hundred thousand of them within a couple of years they uh mass uh they 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 basically moved million a little under two million of them they just deported to places like siberia you know just moving whole populations of people which if you think about that it's just incredible uh so this even if you try to do that in a slightly more civilized term so like uh when india bangladesh and pakistan when they Mm. became independent like a million people died there and that was they were trying to facilitate that peacefully Mm. yeah and they still lost a million people and this was all covered up hush hush this wasn't exposed to the the outside world like there was cannibalism was taking place like the 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 level of horror is unimaginable Mm. through this one policy of basically steamrolling um industrialization you know so this was kind of the main policy and there was a lot of people against stalin about this you know um which led him to be paranoid a lot of the time and stalin as paranoia as we'll see uh causes a lot of problems uh and comedy yeah you have to say like yeah it's obviously horrific i can't help but think of like an eddie izzard bit which is like because in my mind i'm like why do we let them do this? And it's like, he's killing his own people. Like, we've been trying to do that for ages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, man, this guy's good at that, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. And, and, this, this, and, and it's around this period that Stalin's paranoia goes insane. Like, he actually said, I trust no one, not even myself. So mm. you can imagine what's going on in this man's head. He, like, in terms of what he did in relation to 
the the mass executions of people and all that. He said he had another famous saying. I'm doing lots of quotes today, but he's very quotable. You know, the death of one man is a tragedy. The death of millions is a statistic. You know. Yeah, that's I, like oof, two thousand likes, five thousand retweets. Yeah, 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 yeah or vice exactly, versa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like these policies basically put the fear of God into everybody um, because they were so brutal that. You, they were, sorry to cut you off. They yeah. weren't allowed to believe in God, were they? Or what was well, the deal? The church still had its place, yeah. uh, but it was uh, they they closed churches during this time. Oh, Officially, yeah. the atheism was. But yeah. but I, I yeah. think it's, I think it's important to say. Okay, there's the element of um, godlessness. I think that's associated with Marxism and, and communism generally. Um, I, I think it's probably important to say that one of the one of the lead reasons behind this is that. Nothing um, conspires to whip people up like fate. Yeah, you know. So it's it's not that Russia is not a religious country. Russia is a profoundly religious country yeah. during this period. It's yeah. just that religion is the state. Mm. In the right. same way, it Maoist China. Like you'll always hear these statistics when, when when atheists debate Christians, and Christians always say, "Oh well, no Christian leader ever massacred people like Stalin." But that's fine. Okay, maybe you might say no Christian leader did that, but he is a religious figure. He, absolutely in, mm. in all mm. intents and purposes so the, the shutdown of the church is another version of him pumping off a rival for example Karl yeah. Marx and Engels and Lenin would have been considered prophets of Marxism yeah you know? sure yeah uh, so all of these things they, uh, they were uh, they were put up everywhere so just as in a church you have pictures of uh, the saints or or the prophets, or this type of thing. Ignoring, uh, ignoring the commandment that says idolatry is bad. Idolatry is bad. We won't go into that. But, uh, yeah, but like every, and this is actually portrayed very well in the film. You'll see images of Stalin everywhere, wherever you oh, go. Yeah, yeah, so this yeah, yeah. omnipresent person uh, who can ha, holds life or death. The great leader is yeah, watching. Exactly. It's yeah. North Korea. It's, yeah. That's what North Koreans are doing. They even have a trinity now. Mm. North Korea. The tree, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but all of yeah. this led to basically what Mark wants to talk about, which is the the Great Purge. Yeah. yeah. So one of the one of the things he does um, when he gets to power, he's he's enacted these five year plans, which is which is the it's the once a year you're allowed to kill anyone you want. <laughs> not quite. Uh, not well. If you're Stalin, you can like, like uh, any, <laughs> every day. You know, every, every day. Every, day, day. every hour. New list. Here's a new list. Um, yeah. So he, he's enacted these five year plans, like Mick says, which is which is just the the forced. I guess, in his view, modernization of Russian society at all costs, and literally all costs. Once, once those are well underway, um, the next thing he's, he's trying to do is make damn sure that a counter-revolution against him or a revolution within the revolution can't occur. So one of the things he does is he, he, he carries out what's called the Great Purge. Um, this is just incredibly large lists of prescriptions where he basically will just say, anyone who's even remotely a threat, take them out kill them so that means free thinkers uh um popular uh politicians of any kind artists musicians um and really really crucially as we'll see later uh military leaders doctors doctors of course yeah anti-semitism as well oh yeah big anti-semite possibly fueled by his hatred of trotsky who's he was he was a jew um yeah, kind of an underrated part of, of Stalin was his hatred of Jews. Like yeah. just everyone just seems to hate the Jews. So awful. Yeah. But anyway, he he's um he carries out these this purge, which is the driving force behind the massive fear. 
you just don't know you could be lifted in the night and just disappear and never see your family again your family never see you you get sent to Siberia or you're just summarily executed this period it's in crazy. the 30s it's kind of um, like in a way it's it, it's considered like Stalin cleansing yeah. the, Bol- the the communist party I'm gonna make a pure to, to put it in his image he's yeah. getting rid of all of the, his old rivals no trinities allowed no yeah. trinities allowed here yeah there's one it's monotheism like yeah. to the extreme it's just me exactly the, 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 the an, an interesting, uh, I think, comparison is is you, you hear, um, you know, when you're in school and you're learning about the rise of Hitler, and they've got the um, the Knight of the Long Knives. Mm. It's not a night; it's ten years of the Long Knives. You know, yeah. it's just anytime anyone says anything that's remotely popular, you're gone. Mass labor Bump camps, off. you know, slave labor. Yeah, he has uh, these giant prisons, these work camps called the Gulags, and you get sent to a Gulag. You know, yeah. it's just horrific, and you're never heard from again. That's the end of it. But know? the other things, like the the fear is, and this is really well portrayed in the film, um, is like. It, like a child in school would be encouraged to denounce his father or his mother mm. for counter-revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was that level of fear. You mm. taught your own child who you put to bed every night and kiss on the on the on the forehead. You could, for all you know, he mentioned something to his teacher yesterday that you said in the comfort of your own home under your breath about Stalin, and all of a sudden you're, you're disappearing in the middle yeah. of the night. But so not just you're gone. You're gone. Your wife's gone. Your what about gone? the kid who did the whole? Oh, probably giving a medal. He got a medal. Yeah, 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 great. yeah. Because yeah. he's sacrificing for the leader. Yeah. He's sacrificing for Russia. You know, for the USSR. Mm. All of Russia this is it was it was allowed by which was the secret police, yeah. basically the NKVD, um, and just they, extraordinarily vicious. Like, yeah, I mean, it's a vicious. it's a modern witch hunt is what you're describing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, this is like. Like every stereotype you can think about, the secret police and which ones. This is that to a massive, <laughs> massive extreme. Yeah. This is like, you know, people talk about the uh, the um, like uh, Putin coming mm. to power and having formerly been in the, in the secret police, the KGB. The yeah. KGB. Like, I mean, th- these guys are these guys are like revered by the KGB because they're the level of effectiveness these guys have for disappearing people is just mm. absurd. And it's not just within, you know, the, the immediate confines of Russia or Moscow. It's everywhere. It's yeah. just, this, this is happening everywhere. And this is all uh, leading up to the fact that he he even cl- like he this, this instilled fear and complete loyalty to stalin which was only then further augmented by his war hero status once the in, in once the victory in world war Two happened yeah. you know so right. w- w- one of the things you see um a really interesting thing actually um just historically at the, the outset of world war Two. so Stalin realizes that um, his five-year plans are not complete. The, the military industrialization is not complete. We can't win in a war. So one of the first things um, that happens in World War Two, or in the lead-up to World War Two, is Hitler and Stalin sign a sign a pact, which they call the Pact of Steel. And the Pact of Steel basically says, "Right, I won't attack you, and you don't attack me for five years." But also, there's Poland. And you have half, and we'll have half, and we'll draw that as the border, and we won't fight each other, and that'll be grand. And I know you hate me, and I know I hate you, but let's just leave this alone for for a few minutes. You concentrate on beating the Western powers, Hitler, and leave me alone for five years. Then we'll have a fight and see who wins. Super civilized. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the Pact of Steel. So they 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 basically they both invade Poland, and like the level of like whatever the Polish army thought about its ability to fight off Germany, and it and there are conflicting accounts but there were some Polish generals who thought no they, we, we actually might be able to bog these guys down and really turn it into a war of attrition and really bleed them out here because yeah. Poland had also had a massive army and while they're trying to they're trying to fend off the, the, the Nazi assault you know they turn around and the Russians have arrived 
into into the east of Poland and whatever your chances are about holding one of these guys off, you're not holding both of them off. Yeah. So so they get completely annihilated and there's a, there's essentially a border drawn between uh, the USSR and, and Nazi Germany. Obviously that doesn't last, but this this is the this is the extent of thinking that this guy's got Hitler ideologically should be everything that Stalin is not. Hmm. Ideologically should be fascist versus communist, yeah. yeah. But in reality. They're very similar people. Yeah. Very, very similar. The level of paranoia, the secret yeah. police, the, the idolatry, making themselves a religious figure, making themselves the be-all and end-all of everything. They're very, very similar men. Like, mm. And they're, they're both propped up at the, at the and same time. And because of the eventual, because obviously the World War II is, is something we could go in for for days, but like because Stalin eventually had enormous human cost, 25 million Soviet Yeah, I was going to say, that's like one of those figures you hear now and again that, you know, Soviet losses were the highest in the war oh it's like it's not close yeah. yeah like in one of the previous episodes we were talking about darkest hour and i, I mentioned how the british say oh we won world war Two. like don't let anyone tell you otherwise russia won world war Two. There, there, there's no debate they, they won world the war II. human cost incredible but it did what the the position that stalin is in after world war Two is incredible he's one of the world's two superpowers yeah they quickly become a nuclear power um, they the, the, control the people, all of Eastern yeah. Europe. Yeah, I mean, satellite states. So it, it, it's, yeah. it's interesting because Stalin has carried out this great purge, mm. and one of the things he's done is he's wiped out all the military leaders. Right. Which you would say that mistake. Um, so when the when the Nazis decide, okay, well we're going for Russia, we're going to invade. They have this what they call Operation Barbarossa, which is the which is the invasion of uh, the invasion of Russia, and by Nazi terms, it goes extraordinarily well in the early stages. To the point where uh, uh, the Russians, are, they, they enact uh, policies referred to as scorched earth. They know they can't fight them off. They can't cope with the speed of the German assault, the Blitzkrieg, the lightning war, as they call it. They, they can't cope with it at all. So they just destroy all their own land as they retreat back. Yeah. The mistake that the Germans really make, and this is Hitler's arrogance, despite his general saying, let's strike Moscow now, early, and we'll do that. And he said, no, 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 no. I want you to take Stalingrad, because that's named after their leader. I want you to take that town. And the German generals tell him, no, we, we haven't got, we can't stretch the supply lines like that. If we do that, we'll cut ourselves off. Hitler insists. They do it anyway. Stalin knows they've made a mistake. He literally takes personal control of the army, Stalin, at this point. So he gets all the credit for beating Nazi Germany in, in the East, in the, in the European theater, which is, you know, obviously overstating it a bit. But if you're the average Joe and you see the great war machine of Nazi Germany coming at you and Stalin takes personal control of the army, then the great battle of World War II happens and you win it under Stalin in his city that's named after him. He beats Hitler's army. You can see where they, where they like, I'm this religious super icon kind of thing is coming from. Mm. They didn't mind the whole 25 million... Well, they didn't know. Yeah. Didn't they don't know. necessarily know that. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, was that where they died or is that further south? Or I, I Oh, well, this is a just attrition of the population over that five-year yeah. period. Yeah. You know, so what they say is, uh, what, they, what, they, what they often say is, um, uh, very few invasions of Russia historically have gone well. Even Napoleon couldn't manage it. Yeah. They say he was beaten by General Winter. That's what the German generals are telling Hitler. We can't go in here. The supply lines will be stretched. The winter is going to hit us. And it's a ferocious winter in the 40s. It's so bad. And Stalin knows this is coming. Also, what he's done is he's moved his factories. So when the Germans come, they can't stop the production. Move the behind tanks. the Urals. Yeah. yeah. It's less, less known, but, you know, also, sadly, the downfall of the Swedish Empire trying to take <laughs> Russia. Yeah. But everyone mistake. just keeps trying to take Russia. That's mistake. why, we, I assume, society at large was just like, 
he's killing a lot of Russians, this guy. Yeah, and we yeah. were like, yeah, well, we've been... Who doesn't? Yeah, <laughs> who like, hasn't, like, you know... First ever we've been trying to get that done. But, like, so. even in a, 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 probably a more lesser-known fact, which is which is never really spoken about because of who actually won World War II, I guess, but the, the Russian invasion of Manchuria, that's the thing that forces the Japanese to surrender. It's not... It's not the atomic bombing. They're going. They're going to surrender anyway when that happens. The Russians take Manchuria from the, the Japanese Empire, and the Japanese military realize we can't hold Manchuria. It's over. We're out. We're just mm. going to be a little island now. They are preparing to surrender when the Americans bomb them. They're already going to surrender. But the Americans do it, and the reason they do show it strength. is because they want to show Stalin, no, we're the big dog. Yeah, we're the big dog. So all this anyway leads to, I suppose, when our movie is opening in 1953. And it's the Cold War. And it's the Cold War, but Stalin is, in many ways, he might have been failing over the last few years. He might have been failing in his health. He'd had a heart attack slow, that was kept secret slow, shortly after the end of the Second World War. But he still is imperious. Like he, Everyone is frightened of him. He's a great hero. And many are suspicious that he's about to launch another purge. So that's kind of when the film is opening. Uh, we're in the cinema uh, all of the Politburo from Khrushchev so it's Steve what's your Steve Buscemi is playing Khrushchev just absolutely yeah. brilliant yeah uh, hilarious we've got uh, Michael Pellin as Molotov we've got uh, Beale as Beria and Tambor as Milenkov mm. and it's um, yeah it, it, it's they do such a good job of showing the first of all like the willingness to to establish themselves or the, the wish to establish themselves but also the absolute fear and paranoia over a guy who's even dead you know they, 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 they fear to start, is he really dead is he definitely dead we've heard he's been dead before make sure he's dead is he dead he's dead you know and they walk and into that, the room they, all of that as betrayed is, is 100% true they did wait nearly a day for yeah. a doctor to be called yeah, yeah. you know uh, Stalin is lying in his pyjamas covered in his own piss because everyone is so frightened. So he's a victim of his own fear. Yeah. Uh, everyone is so frightened to even go in, including his guards. Yeah. But just imagine if you were the guy, if you were the guy who took the initiative here and you step up and you're like, right, I'm in charge. And then Stalin recovers. <laughs> you're gone. You, I mean, you are super gone, you know? Mm. So that kind of, that kind of um, plays definitely into the start of it. Then when they realize he is gone, it's all about, right, who's going to bump off who? Who's going to solidify the army behind him? Who's going to get this guy? Who's going to get that and guy? And as an... Well, funny note is at that very time, there was no... And it's very... It's actually mentioned in the film. Many of the leading doctors, including Stalin's own physician, were all being locked up and tortured because Stalin was convinced that there was a Jewish-American-funded uh, conspiracy where the doctors were trying yeah, to kill, they were gonna kill the him, leaders yeah. of the Soviet Union. So... Even the doctors who did arrive were not exactly... And it's very well portrayed in the film. It's like this oddball group. I think Vasily, actually, the son of Stalin, when he yeah. first sees the doctors, he has a great line, man. Yeah, so he comes in and there's this young doctor who's standing over Stalin's body and he's like, Who are you? How old are you? How old are you? And the doctor says, I'm old. <laughs> You're not old. You're not old at all. <laughs> and he shouts at another and he's like, you're not even a person. You're a testicle. <laughs> Very wrinkly, man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so this cast of characters were left with after Stalin's, oh, the great leader's unfortunate demise. Yeah. Um, so like, as a layman, 
I know the name Molotov because of the cocktail. Yeah. Who are these people? Like, they get introduced and we get sort of, uh, like, this is the minister of what have you. Mm. Honestly, I'm like, uh, you know, through the film I come to realize a bit about them, but historically Mm. speaking, are they accurately portrayed? How do we feel? Um, The main person I think we need to talk about is Beria. Yeah. Who... In the film, he's kind. They they make him out to be the end, the head of the secret police at the time, the NKVD. Mm. He had actually been demoted a few years earlier, but he was still powerful. Uh, so that's one small inaccuracy in there, but it makes perfect sense for the film. Uh, Beria was the heir apparent in his own eyes to Stalin. He kind of and assumed almost. He assumed, he assumed yeah. he And he had dirt on everyone. So there's a great scene in the film where he's going through Stalin's safe, yeah. trying to find all of the kind of secret reports on every member of the Politburo so he can play one off against the other, yeah. including yeah. himself. Himself, though, he was... He's betrayed very well because... He's a profoundly sick individual. He's a sick yeah. man. He yeah. was a known paedophile. He used to drive around Moscow uh, picking up uh, young girls and he would do unspeakable things. Hand him... And this is actually shown in the film. Hand him a bouquet afterwards as if... Uh, as they walked out the door. So this guy was a real piece of work. He was also responsible, I think it's quoted in the film, for arresting half of Russia yeah, as the yeah, head yeah. of the secret police. <laughs> you put half of Russia in prison. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he, he is a real scumbag. He's very much well represented, I think. Mm. Yeah. Um, He's kind of slimy. He's just yeah. a slimy, grotesque... Horrible piece of just work. Just ugly human. You know? I, I think the, the, when Khrushchev, who is very well portrayed... Um, by, by Bashemi, yeah. Bashemi yeah, yeah. is actually conspiring against this Beria character to take power. Uh, he's conspiring with the head of the Red Army, Zukov, who is brilliant. He's played by Jason Isaacs. People will remember him as, um, uh, I think he was well, he's Draco the, Malfoy's f- Lucius Malfoy. Yeah, he's Lucius yeah. Malfoy, <laughs> and he's the captain in Star Trek Discovery. He the, is, yeah. The, yeah, uh, yeah I was yeah. about to say a spoiler, but he's a captain. Let's yeah. not worry he's about it. He's a captain. He's a captain. He, 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 so Khrushchev and and and, and um, Zukov are chatting, and they're yeah. and they're like uh, uh, talking about Beria and. Zukov's response is I fucked Germany I think I can take down a flesh lump in a waistcoat which kind of <laughs> is perfect description yeah. of Beria well Ber- Beria's whole thing here is the, 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 he he does assume he's the, he's the heir apparent he's dirt on everyone but probably the thing he's underestimating is the level to which the other members of the Pop Bureau hate him yeah. is is profound yeah. so Khrushchev because he was in many respects as far as I read it like the hand of Stalin carrying yes. out these yeah, terrible yeah, yeah. acts so yeah. Stalin the, got all the glory Beria kind of got the shit yes. side of uh, it no absolutely <laughs> and also as head of secret police as Michael says he's got dirt on everyone and they know yeah. this but they also know this guy is a horrific pedophile who you know mm. who like as in it's not going to be difficult for me to turn people against this guy because he's such a disgusting disgusting figure yeah and I would say as far as historical accuracy uh, the film seems to sort of big up Beria a bit because he is essentially the main antagonist I think and yeah, for Buscemi sure. is the protagonist of the film yeah. so uh, I, I haven't done that much reading on it, but uh, in the big meeting that we do see portrayed in the film uh, that happens after the death, uh, in in reality, Barry is sort of leading it there through his puppet, um, and which is um, Mr. Tambor. Yeah, Malikov. Uh, yeah. Yes, he's sort of propped up as as the figure, and Barry is the power behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as far as I understand, in reality, we have Buscemi's character 
Khrushchev. Khrushchev. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Khrushchev, yeah. yeah, exactly. That guy. So now, none he, of these people were priests either. You know, they were all. Oh, they're all horrible. Bad they're all, to yeah, no, they're all extents, awful people. They're all That's not. Well, yeah, but priests. Is that the best? Oh, exactly. Well, priests are pretty bad none too. None of these uh, were saints, I should have said. Yeah, sure, right, yeah. could change that again. Yeah. But uh, anyway, Buscemi's <laughs> character, I believe, was actually sort of heading that meeting. So he was already sort of a bit more in power. So yeah. the main uh, conflict is between Beria and. Bushemi, yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. And it is, it is, it is important to point out. Um, Khrushchev, uh, Bushemi's character is the the winner of this particular Game of Thrones. He is the guy who takes power in the end. Interestingly, well, I would say interestingly anyway, his style of leadership at, at the outset, um, when he becomes general secretary of the of the party, which essentially means dictator, his um, his strategy is very, very different to Stalin. He's he goes out to show I'm not Stalin, I'm the anti-Stalin. Yeah. So one of the first things he does when he gives his first speech, he actually calls Stalin out. On, on it's a, the secret speech a couple of years yeah. later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, look, he did all of these awful things. Let's just admit that he did them. Mm. I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm your friend. You know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a different guy. In time. Now, he's an evil bastard as well, but he's like, I'm your friend. I, I, like, I'm, I'm not in it for myself. I'm actually a revolutionary and I believe in Marxism. You know, this is, this is his game and it's very, very different to kind of Stalin's style or Stalin's strategy. And in terms of in terms of inaccuracies, uh, what do we think? What I don't think there was many. They were m- mainly, I suppose, related to timeline yes, as opposed sure. to anything else. Anyone yeah. have anything to call out in particular? I, like I think, um, well, the opening of the movie with the with the, the concert. So mm. there's a there's a concert being played, which um, Stalin wants the recording of. But it was played live on the radio, and there was no recording of it. But Stalin gets what Stalin asks, so yeah. you know they wait the conductor up and they come back and they replay the whole thing and record. In the middle of the night, bring people in off yeah. the street. Yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. it's a great uh, piece of comedy. And and that's um, they they show that as happening the night he dies, right? But in in reality, or the night before he dies, is it maybe? And but in reality, that was that was in the forties, right? That yeah, was it was a few years before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the character herself who plays the pianist yeah she she did actually hate Stalin yeah and she wrote that letter to him but he was a big fan by the way yeah (laughs) he loved her music anyway but Um, I I think you can forgive those kinds of things because I I think a lot of the um, now a Russian historian might disagree um, you know fair enough if you do but I think a lot of the the inaccuracies and stuff are, are they are they are technically wrong or the timeline is technically wrong but it's serving a specific purpose serving a storytelling purpose which is a little more obvious than you would typically get in a, in a historically set film because they're not outrageous differences yeah. you know they're, 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 more, they're much more subtle the, the differences like. they're small too. The, the, the only thing that really stuck uh, like I was when I when I saw it the only thing that really struck me uh, and that definitely didn't happen is kind of at the crux of the movie where the power struggle between Beria and Khrushchev is taking place and it's represented by the Red Army under Zhukov yeah. so on Khrushchev's side trying to take over uh, take power from the secret police the NK- NKVD the secret police have blue hats the Red Army have red hats that's the easiest way to remember it yeah. and in the film it's portrayed that the secret police open fire on a crowd of mourners who are coming to to Stalin's Stalin's funeral funeral. Uh, now that actually never happened so that definitely fucking didn't happen if that's our one for this one something did happen which was 
repressed for years uh 500 about 500 people at the funeral actually died they were crushed uh because of b- poor crowd control yeah. uh, and but that was obviously in soviet russia that was all just you know put brushed under the carpet so there was a massacre of sort around the the death of stalin but it wasn't actually bury as secret Orders police really, yeah. ordering although don't worry he killed fucking millions of other people so yeah, yeah it's yeah. fine you it's know? not yeah his copybook yeah. is not clean yeah. like it's <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah. i think um a lot of it is they've changed the status of different characters in order to make it a more compelling story which is you know uh, some would say a ghastly uh you know uh perversion of history why would you even do that but it is a satire uh, you could also complain that it makes light of a very important topic but i i think the way they treat death in this film is really interesting because it is such a casual everyday oh, around yeah, the corner yeah, yeah. thing even the killing a barrier at the end yeah. that in reality that would have taken place several months later he would have been tried for treason and paedophilia and all this but in the film it works really well as the ending of the movie that uh they finally get Beria and string him up uh, and literally shoot him in the head. Yeah, and set yeah, fire to him, yeah. yeah. yeah and set fire to him, yeah, that's yeah, right. exactly. Just to really make sure yeah. this guy's gone. Uh, yeah, yeah. So in a way, like, Khrushchev wasn't the best replacement in the world, but he could have been, it could have been a lot worse under Beria. God knows what could oh, have yeah. happened, yeah. you know? Yeah, and in, interestingly, in the film, the conflict is, it, it sort of uh, boils up as Beria. He's actually doing nice things. He's, like, uh, halting the arrests and everything. And... Uh, Khrushchev? Khrushchev. Yes, Khrushchev. He's annoyed that, like, I'm the liberal one. I'm the one who's going to be nice. You're the one being nice. I'm going to release people from... That's my move. (laughs) Which is such a great way in, you know, the fiction of this film to show that, like, even though he does nicer things, he's not a nicer person. He's just like, that was going to be... I was... People were going to love me because I was going to be different. That's my strategy. You've you've stepped on my toes. You know that's my move. I'm the nice guy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes. So, um... Do we have any sort of required reading for those who want to delve deeper into this uh, particular time period? Um, well, I, I would suggest ahead, yeah. um, Robert Service. Uh, Robert Service's book is just called Stalin. He's done. He's done three complementary biographies: one called Lenin, one called Trotsky, and one called Stalin. Now, they're not the most casual read you're ever going to come across. They're pretty intense, but it'll give you a very, very good understanding of who these people. are and what their motivations were so mm. i recommend those um then kind of if if you want a really kind of casual overview of russian history anyway because it is brilliant like it's fascinating russian history uh then there's a book called by martin six six smith who's i think it was a, an english journalist uh, and it's russia t- a thousand year chronicle of the wild east so that's brilliant if you're going on a sunny beach holiday and you want to bring something uh that's not too depressing because it goes into good other because, it's, because it's an history. overview so yeah. it can't be that like, yeah. um, <laughs> and then there's a mask less i'll talk about that uh, a more detailed one is um okay i'm gonna butcher this name so it's simon seabag montfiori fiori it will be in the show notes yeah (laughs) yeah, yeah. um and it's stalin the court of the red czar but he also has another book called the young stalin as well which concentrates on stalin's early days as well uh both of them are absolutely brilliant you know which i do want to see that film adaptation of just yeah yeah. teenage stalin driving his fucking gangster cars robbing banks whacking fuckers yeah look at this teenage gangster (laughs) we get to see like like bugsy (laughs) seagull 
we get to see him bullying his uh, politicians into watching like a western with him yeah. in the film. Uh, you told me he also was a great lover of gangster cinema, which yeah. makes sense. Yeah, so. yeah, he liked the the gangster, the gangster, the Hollywood gangster movies and the westerns. Yeah, big fan. And Probably because to, he reminded him of himself. Yeah, probably, you know. And he used to force Khrushchev at those kind of dinner parties to drink, uh, to get very drunk and dance a traditional Ukrainian dance called the Gopak (laughs) as well. So, you know, a lot of the stuff in the film that seemed really over the top actually took place. Yeah, it is really really Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, do you have any other fabulous Stalin facts or quotes you want to throw at us? Well, here's with a few. Here's here's with a few quotes if you've got some. Yeah, you've got some. Well, yeah, like, um, I suppose what I really enjoyed, uh, I love all the over top, over the top kind of, uh, names for dictators and the oh, ridiculousness yeah. of it all. <laughs> so few of the newspapers, uh, headlines for Pravda and all the other, uh, kind of state newspapers at the time, uh, when Stalin died, a few of them would refer to him as, so my personal favorite mountain Eagle, and best friend of all children, <laughs> which is just, I don't know where they pulled that one. Out. Uh, very humble, greatest genius of all time and peoples. <laughs> and uh, friend and teacher of all toilers, you know. Yeah. Uh, Mother of dragons. Mother of dragons. Breaker of chains. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But uh, no, that stuff is unbelievable if you read into it, you know. Um, but in general, I, I don't know, in terms of uh, Stalin himself, uh, he is, if you look up any Stalin quotes, you'll get a very quickly, uh, you'll be able to get a... You'll be able to judge the man and his worldview very, very quickly, you know. Yeah, and obviously we're all speaking from biased points of view, but I, I do see this as a a bizarre portrayal. This film that is yeah. of a bizarre man who shaped a bizarre society around him. Like, obviously, yeah, my point of view, but like, it, it's so absurd the things that are happening that you sort of have to take this comedic approach almost yeah. or I, it's either this film or you read the most depressing like yeah. li- like book about it like, ever like if, you, like if you try to make a straight drama of this it would work yeah. but it would be unbelievably depressing yeah. and I think you would lose the audience very quickly yeah. but the, the fact that, like it's ideal Material for satire, really. When you, yeah. when you think about it, like just like the the, the profound nature of, of all this kind of stuff, like you just said, a bizarre man in a bizarre set of circumstances f- creating a bizarre society. It's, yeah. it's it's ideal for satire, resulting in the deaths of well, conservative estimate twenty million. Yeah, twenty uh, thirty million. Could I think, have been I think, you're lo- I think, I think we you're, don't know. I think <laughs> minimum you're looking at twenty five million people. He's so directly responsible for the deaths of. Hopefully, yeah. in these series of podcasts. Uh, we will try not to go into too many dictators, especially those with millions of people, uh, millions so we won't, of deaths. So we won't, we won't be downfall then. Uh, well, <laughs> well, well, we'll see. Series two could be coming up, depending on uh, how our how our listeners feel. You know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No animals in this one, though. Hasn't it been every single film we've seen animals die? There's usually been some profound animal cruelty. Yeah. Uh, in they always the get a horse, if nothing else. Usually, at least one horse, isn't there? Like, yeah. there's usually some really, really dramatic death of a horse. But I don't think I don't think anything like that, unless you just count like. Yeah, what we were saying earlier, like just apes, human <laughs> human apes being summarily executed and being set on fire and that's things like fine. that. I think that's a bit of a stretch, though, you know. One of the shockers about this film was you learn how Vasily, so Stalin's son, uh, who was head of the, I think, the ice hockey team? Yeah. Was that, a, that was an actual thing? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The team, the Soviet team, crashed over... It, 
plane crashed and all the team was lost. But Vasily was so afraid to tell his dad that he tried to replace the team um, in secret. So Soviet planes don't crash. <laughs> he allowed his son through his first marriage. Um, I'm not sure what the name is. I think it's Yukov or something. He allowed him to die in a German concentration yeah. camp or prisoner of yeah. war camp I'm not exchanging prisoners he could have exchanged but he's so. like no, you can die he wasn't too fond of his sons. no but but in contrast his daughter is the apple of his eye completely and there's a, there's a great scene in the movie where where she she arrives to the scene where you know Stalin's been laid been laid to rest and every member of the Politburo is essentially running up to her but trying to make it look like they're not running up to her in a desperate fashion because they all want to be the first person to grieve with her. Yeah. They all want to be the, the, the ingratiated yourself to Stalin's daughter. You know, it's, it's hilarious and pathetic in equal measure. Like. That's yeah. the film all over, I feel like. You have that it's, one scene. It's yeah, tragedy mixed with comedy yeah. perfectly. You know? Yes, and I think uh, this is probably quite easily my favourite film out of the ones we've discussed, even though, I mean, it doesn't... It's uh, it's very apparent in where it's bending history and where yeah. it isn't. It's something we always come back to is like, what are you allowed to do for the sake of a good story? It's in the whole intro thing. Yeah. But like, this is very much like we're doing this version of this. Like we're yeah. we're bending it in our own way, which means to me that all the changes are forgivable. And it's just, I mean, it's a great film to discuss just how it's put together, but we'll leave that for, you know, another time. Just go watch it. It's uh, fabulous and a great view into this part of history. Yeah, I can't that recommend it enough. A great and inaccurate view, but tonally fits quite well into, you know. It still delivers on the main point of what's of what's happening. Yeah. This great, great figure, you know, is all-encompassing all figure has died, and there's a scramble for power after him, and everyone is betraying everyone left, right, and center. Yeah, you know? yeah, this is very good stuff. And like we said, there's all sorts of people in it: Michael Palin, like as Molotov. Yeah, hilarious. <sighs> just, just brilliant. Um, yeah, so watch it. I really hope you watch it, and I really hope you leave us a review on iTunes. Sorry, Apple Podcasts. <laughs> we really appreciate those. Yes, this is how we're going to finish the show now. Uh, you can find all of our coverage and all of our other shows at showswhatyouknow.com. And uh, besides that, I really don't have anything more to say, guys. No, I think we're done. Are we done? Good. Are you done? I have to get a bus. Yeah. Okay. See you later. <laughs> a bus to the, to the gulag. Gulag.